Hey everyone, this is Tom Salami. Happy New Year. Happy 2022. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. It's great to connect with you again. We have a full show for you today. We'll have Chris Newmarker in in just a little bit with his first Newmarker's Newsmakers of the Year. But we're going to focus most of this episode on the plans that Olympus has to build out its medical device business. Olympus is a company, of course, that we've all followed for quite some time. But uh, I didn't know enough about it. Now I do. Thank you. Thanks to my interviews with Nacho Abia, the COO, and Gabriela Kanor. She's the global division head of the Therapeutic Solutions Division in the Americas. And uh, we talked a great deal about Olympus's plans to expand in the metal device industry. I learned that it's been in devices for quite some time. And of course, I knew they were playing medical devices, but I didn't realize how long they've been in the field. And Nacho Abia will explain Olympus's history, where it's been, where it is, and where it's going. It's, uh, it's built out its corporate development program, it has a corporate venture program, and it's uh, moving in an exciting direction. So happy to bring you that story. Happy to bring you Chris Newmarker. He and I talk a bit. Uh, we are we, we sound more like a, a podcast for someone whose puppy just got, uh, got hit by a car, but uh, we pick it up toward the end. <laughs> it's been a long holiday break for, for all of us. But uh, we'll get our energy and our zap back, I promise. Uh, we're really grateful to be part of the MedTech conversation and very happy to have you here listening to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We uh, sprinkle some news throughout the podcast. We talk about the conferences and podcasts, other podcasts and such. So I will uh, will not delay any further. Thanks for uh, returning to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We look forward to bringing you many great episodes and many great podcasts in 2022. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Well, Chris Newmarker, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. 2022. Here we are. 2022. We made it. We're hoping for a slight, uh, slight improvement over 2021, right? Just kind of a slow, continuing increase of the happiness graph. Now, Tom, I hope that 2022 is everything that we hope to dream 2021 <laughs> would be. That would be that would be wonderful. That is my that is my beginning of the of the new year hope. So, or my my happy thought. You seem a little little sedate. Are you a little, a little tired? You've got some anything going on over there at the house that's wearing oh, you out we've a little got, bit? Yeah, we've got our youngest kids uh, kids home right now. So, yes, <laughs> yes, the, uh, the, the, the preschool is, uh, is clearing out So as we go through Omicron. So, oh, man. But, yeah, so I'm, you know, I, I'm just hoping this is, this is it. Hopefully this is, like, the last really, like, huge shebang of this. I mean, you know, pandemic might last for longer, but. You know, like hopefully we just things just start getting better. 2021 is beginning to look, excuse me, 2022 is looking familiar to 2021. We're, we're banging out Device Talks Tuesday, so we'll definitely be yeah. having at least a couple of dozen of those. So virtual stuff still kicking. We are, though, going to do our in-person meetings, as we've talked about before. We still have Boston scheduled in May, Minneapolis in June. And uh, yeah, certainly this doesn't help in Santa Clara in October. Yeah, that's right. Let's do it. But uh, hopefully we'll be we'll be through this uh, rock and roll through this in a couple of weeks. Rocking and rolling. We got speakers up there on the website, so people should totally check it out. It's gonna get better. So yes, 2022 will be will be a a, a much better version of 2021. It's gonna be wonderful. We're starting right now at the low point, and it's just gonna you know it's just gonna get better. Right. And it's just you know we're gonna have these events. You know, I'm also talking to you probably at like the coldest day of the year here in Minnesota. It's like. <laughs> I think it's like negative 10 degrees outside. That's right lovely. Now, so, That's but, uh, lovely. So it's, it's going to get warmer here. That's We're right. going to have events. It's, it's going to be great, man. And the Minnesota Twins are going to win the World you Series. You heard it here, folks, no. ladies and gentlemen. I've I've got my crystal ball here. It's gonna happen. Uh, actually, that's too much to ask for. Like, like, it's just not gonna. It's gonna be... <laughs> the the big guy upstairs is like, listen, you're putting me through too much here now. Like, I, I've got a lot of things to do right now. I can only do. I can only perform so many miracles. But uh, let us not look forward, yes. Chris Newmarker. Let us look back into the week of news. Our first full week of MedTech news here. And of course, your new markers, newsmakers, the top new five markers, stories. newsmakers. Yay. Bring in Godzilla.
There he is. All right. Godzilla has sounded off, kicked off 2022. What is number five? Man, on- he sounds like he's a little stopped up. I mean, maybe he should take a, <laughs> take a test or something. <laughs> I ain't oh, swabbing man. those nostrils, my friend. <laughs> well, it's like, you can go up there. your hair with the nostril breath, you know, and nostril snort. <laughs> I've swabbed more nostrils than I care to, to, to remember, and I, I'm not going up to Godzilla's nostrils. No, sir. Yeah, I had to get a hazmat suit on that nostril. <laughs> what is number five oh my on this vaunted list, Chris Newmarker? Well, uh, number five on the list, we've got uh, you know, some, some cool robotic surgery news. We've got Memic uh, Innovative Surgery uh, saying that uh, that they have uh, three U.S.-based facilities that have uh, acquired their uh, Hominus robot-assisted surgical system. So, uh, yeah, and this is, uh, for those who don't know, it's an Israel-based uh, company. Um you know, and this is, uh, you know, like they tout this, uh, this robot is the first and only FDA authorized surgical robot with, uh, it's got like miniature mm-hmm. humanoid shaped arms with uh, shoulder, elbow and wrist joints, you know, so they, it provides like, like human level dexterity and, you know, articulation that's 360 degrees. So, so yeah, really, uh, you know, really uh, interesting robots. Absolutely. So we'll, uh, yep. They have uh, yeah. Maurice Ferre is of formerly of Mako, of course, co-founder of Mako is their, their chairman. And uh, he was on the podcast last year. I can say that last yeah. year. And uh, yeah, year, good yeah. for them that they're moving in and Maurice yeah. is down in Florida. So it makes sense that they, they would uh, kind of have their beachhead down there. And yeah. Uh, yeah, we're picking up where we left off, huh? Robotics, robotics, more robotics. It was a really hot space uh, in uh, 2021, and it's, it's looking, it's going to be a really hot space in uh, 2022. And of course, we'll have our Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum co-located with the Device Talks Boston meeting on May 10th and 11th. So you can find our information about that That's on right. devicetalks.com. Be there or be square. Absolutely. What is number four, Chris Newmarker? Hey, number four on the list, uh, we've got uh, G Healthcare is uh, collaborating with uh, Boston Scientific uh, on uh, cardiac care in uh, Southeast Asia. And they're, you know, touting this as a, you know, first of a, of its kind of collaboration. So, you know, kind of, kind of neat. I'm, I'm really curious, like, are they going to be doing uh, stuff like this uh, in other parts of the world as well? Yes, it'll be interesting to see uh, if this becomes a model for uh, for collaborations in other areas. It'd be interesting to to learn more about how they uh, how they came together. So maybe it's something we'll we'll chase down in a in a future podcast. Certainly, we'll be talking to Mike Mahoney at uh, Device Talks Boston. I know I keep going back to the conferences, but uh, we're happy to have him as a as a keynote on May tenth. So uh, yeah, we'll definitely ask about that then. Yeah, we kind of need. I mean, they're pairing. Boston Scientific's medical devices and capabilities with G Healthcare like medical imaging systems, including their cardiac cath lab and related software. So, so yeah, it's kind of like uh, the uh, end of Casablanca, or it's like this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> and we'll see how see how it goes. Absolutely. Yeah, be cool. Gabriella Kaner, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Tom. Thank you for having me here. It's exciting. Actually, it is. I'm, I'm really excited to learn more about Olympus. We have uh, had Nacho Abia on the program as well. He really covered things from a higher perspective, but I'm, I'm a Boston guy. I'm eager to hear what's going on in Westboro, and I want to understand the part of uh, Olympus that you're, uh, you're leading up. But first, we always like to know how our guests found their way into the, uh, into the medtech industry. You've been doing this for, uh, for a little bit. Yes, I have, Tom. So I've been with Olympus for a little bit over five years, but honestly, I've been in the medical device industry for over 20 years, my my whole career. I'm very lucky and had the good fortune of learning and starting my career with some some great companies such as J&J and, and Covidian and learning from, from great leaders. And in the year 2016, I, I joined Olympus. And, you know, this was an opportunity to come in and, and help be part of building something new and undergoing, you know, having a, a company that was undergoing like a big transformation was, was something that honestly I hadn't specifically done in, in my career. And, and there was an interesting part of the opportunity of, you know, kind of designing that, that blueprint and being able to still make a difference in patient care and providing meaningful, you know, clinical and economic value to our customers is a central part of success in any med device. But the transformation, 
culture change and innovation all mixed together was was really what attracted me to Olympus. I bet. Well, going back to your, your start in MedTech, what was the allure, the entry point? Well, why did you choose this industry? Well, to be honest with you, as with everything, I think there's always a certain amount of luck that is associated. <laughs> I'm originally from Guatemala. And I married my husband from Boston. So I, I moved here to the United States and was really lucky that my first job out of engineering school was with, with J&J. Wow. And, you know, it's one of these things that I grabbed onto the opportunity and never looked back and never have considered, you know, being outside of, of the med device industry. It really is now for me a, a passion and and I don't know anything else. <laughs> oh, it's, it's tough to, I would imagine it's tough to transition. I've started covering it 20 something years ago and I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah, let's talk about Olympus because it's really going through an, an interesting transformation. And again, in my conversation with Nacho Bia, he educated me on how long Olympus has been in med tech and it's something I guess I knew, but I wasn't really cognizant of because it seems like one of those companies that has been operating on my periphery at least. Talk a bit about Olympus's new focus and its mission. What does Olympus want to be? We always welcome the opportunity to talk about that because, you know, myself included, before being tapped on the shoulder, I didn't really understand all of the different areas and segments of the market that Olympus played in. I think now over the last five years, but in the last three, really, we've really been focusing and understanding across the continuum and the different specialties, where can we really have that greatest impact? Where do we really have a right to win? And where do we feel that if we look at the ability of being successful at, at making a difference in, in patients' life and in healthcare, that we had that focus. And so that transformation effort for us has really been part of looking outside and not really letting the technology and, and innovation, which has been core part of the success for Olympus for you know the last hundred years, but now trying to expand outside of endoscopy, where in some areas, you know, innovation is also happening very quickly around us you know, looking at, at really using a different lens, if you will. And instead of looking at just the technology and endoscopy, looking at, you know, the disease areas of focus where we know we have unmet needs and a right to win as, as Olympus, and then finding those opportunities within that continuum and, and along that patient care pathway, but again, focused on those disease areas that we know that we can really win. And what is your, uh, the area where you're a leader, TSD, tell us a bit about the division. What products do you cover? What diseases do you target? For Olympus, we're, you know, the TSD division is roughly $2.5 billion division. Mm -hmm. And we're playing across multiple clinical specialties, including urology, GI endotherapy, respiratory, surgical devices, ENT, and gynecology. So it's a pretty broad area. The medical strategy and our own TSD strategy are key areas of focus identified as urology, GI endotherapy, and respiratory. And we're really looking to, from a mission perspective, is, you know, being able to deliver, you know, profitable and sustainable growth and really we can only do that by looking across all of our specialties again and, and identifying those solutions and unmet needs and really doubling down with focus and, and priority in those specific areas. But, you know, another area that I want to mention for us in, in TSD is that aside from having more focused efforts and investments, you know, since the inception of TSD, which is really only three years ago, looking at the markets around us, but also from a competitive 
perspective, you know, what are some of the areas that if we want to focus more on therapeutic or device side, you know, what do we need to do? And so in parallel, again, to identifying, you know, the unmet needs and solutions, you know, we've really tried to do a lot around improving our capabilities around single use products. Because traditionally, again, Olympus innovation has been centered around, you know, endoscopy and more the capital side. So becoming more agile in the way that we, you know, develop and commercialize, you know, the single use devices and solutions for our customers has been, you know, a key area of focus. You know, it's not just R&D is one element, but really, if you look at all throughout the supply chain continuum, there's a lot of different areas around procurement, you know, partnerships, distribution and commercialization, and then internally also really focus in, as an example, our medical safety teams and healthcare economics. For us to be able to provide the solutions that are, you know, clinically and economically differentiated, we need to improve in our ability to have the data, uh, the clinical capabilities internally to be able to deliver that. And then to have a commercial approach that is more value-based than maybe traditionally. So all of these elements around therapeutic solution division that I'm mentioning are the internal transformation that we've been undergoing to enable our capabilities more so on the therapeutic side or, or device side, if you will. So what goes into sort of developing those skill sets and to becoming, again, a, a global med tech leader? What's going on in terms of bringing new people inside and after that, I'd love to find out how you worked with the culture of the folks who are already working at Olympus. Sure. So, you know, it's been, I think, one of the most exciting parts of kind of making this magic happen, right? We've brought in a lot of talented people in different specific areas, some of the functions that perhaps didn't even exist at Olympus, you know, five years ago, to make sure that we have the capabilities to build. But in parallel to that, there's a lot of capability building that we've done internally with training, um, developing business processes, the right level of governance, to make sure that we have you know, cross-functional collaboration that happens at the right times, that everyone is still being able to have a seat at the table, if you will, and that we're learning along the way. This is a, a lengthy process because the new talent or new processes that we're infusing, that's a small percentage, right? The magic really happens when we take the expertise, the engineering, the innovation, the commercial relationships that we have with our HCPs in key areas, and we're evolving and changing that culture, which takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. And part of it is, is really shifting that mentality from working more as functional silos at times and perhaps reflecting on five years ago when I started, we were operating much more as regions and making decisions about portfolio strategy more on a regional level. Hmm. And now we're doing that cross-functionally and cross-regionally. That doesn't come without its growing pains, right? Because it's, you know, culture change, but I think it's been very well received and and we have great teams globally that we're all learning together to to evolve. So one of the big moves you made was opening a, an office or headquarters outside of, of Japan in the US. You're in my neck of the woods, Westboro, Massachusetts. Talk a bit about that building, about the opening and what it represents. So we've had as a region, I would say, a pretty strong presence in the Massachusetts area for quite some time. We didn't really have any global presence. And certainly when we started our division three years ago, we made a claim and we said, 
you know, we're going to be headquartered in Boston. At the time, honestly, I think there were maybe 15 of us that were part of the global division in in the Westboro facility. As we have continued to grow, not just as a global division, but also our presence in the market and our commercial footprint in the U.S., obviously our regional team has continued to thrive and grow. So having this Westboro facility, which is a brand new building, is something that I think is really special. Number one is we're committed to improving our value chain here in the United States. And that includes not just the commercial front, but again, every global function. And obviously, you know, Massachusetts is is a great area to attract, you know, talent to, you know, have so many universities around us, so much med device movement happening in in the Boston area. So that's really, really exciting for us. I will tell you, though, that, you know, from a global perspective, it really, to me, especially with this pandemic, continues to reinforce and demonstrate that, you know, we have a global team. Our, Our headquarters are here in Massachusetts, but the reality is that, you know, we have talent across the globe. And we depend on that collaboration with all of the functions in all of the regions to really be able to accomplish our mission. Hmm. I wonder, did the industry's reaction, necessary reaction to the, to the lockdown, the, the working remotely, how did that impact sort of the transformation of Olympus? You're right, it, it can slow you down in that you're not having people in your new headquarters in Westboro. But on the flip side, we're all learning to work better no matter where we are. How has that worked out? I would say that without a doubt for us, it helped accelerate things in a couple of different ways. One very simple way that I can share with you is that, you know, before the pandemic, because we were so regionally focused initially, we each had different systems, right? Mm -hmm. And we were doing a lot of traveling, which was inefficient. And we were waiting a lot of times to, you know, if I was going to Tokyo once a month, we were waiting to have key discussions until I was there, right? (laughs) Or vice versa. We would have our executive committee meetings and board meetings, you know, once a month live, everyone traveling from everywhere in the world. Well, literally within 30 days of the pandemic, we all were able to deploy, you know, Microsoft 365 and had teams platform globally across, you know, every site. Mm -hmm. And I am quite positive that this would have never happened with that speed without, you know, the pandemic. And so, you know, one of the important and relevant things about that story and why I'm sharing is because, you know, with the cultural differences, a lot of times, you know, there's a language barrier and just being able to see each other face to face, you know, if, if not in presence via the cameras and teams allows for there to be some sort of, you know, feedback from body language is like, am I, you know, landing the right way or am I being understood and to be able to still build relationship without traveling. And now looking back, you know, I haven't been to Tokyo for almost two years. And so this is really, I can't imagine if I didn't have the technology that we have today, I think we wouldn't have accomplished so much. But that gave us an instant ability to say, well, we don't need to wait until we go to Tokyo. We can have a very effective personal communication with video. And Mm -hmm. I think that has been really transformative for us. And that's just one example, but I think there are many. Are you missing those frequent flyer miles? (laughs) You know, it was a a lot of heavy travel for probably three years before COVID. So the first year, I'm not going to lie, was really nice to be (laughs) close to family. But I'm ready to have things open back up for sure. (laughs) 
knock wood. <laughs> the last question is looking forward. What is TST become and, and how do you get there? Or what are you looking for in terms of growth into, into new markets? And does it come through acquisition, through internal? How do you see things sort of playing out? So, you know, I think it's a combination of many things, but as I explained from a medical strategy perspective, but also TSD, our focus areas are, you know, primarily urology, respiratory, and GI endotherapy. And when I think about the change, you know, we are certainly going to continue refining our strategy and developing, you know, the solutions that are necessary in that patient care pathway lens. In those three areas, we have a very exciting pipeline of products that we are launching. We have two exciting acquisitions that happened within the last 12 months with Baron Technologies and Meditate, one in our respiratory and one in our urology field that we're in the process of integrating and, and really trying to capture and maximize the synergies. From a structure or operating model perspective, you know, we are continuing to invest in our, you know, medical and scientific affairs, you know, skills and capabilities and making the right investments there. And our capabilities and enablement of those capabilities, the great news is that now as announced in our medical strategy, it's now being done at a more global and broad level that we're really fine-tuning our procurement, supply chain, and manufacturing, you know, functions at a global level to try and, you know, maximize synergies and refine our processes, become more and more competitive. Same thing with research and development and some of our you know, key areas such as quality assurance and, and regulatory affairs. And so you know, I'm excited that you know, we have the right plans in place from a strategy perspective, but then also you know, to be able to execute on those strategies, we need a lot of these functions and help. And you know, finally, you know, specifically as you asked about organic and inorganic and, and what are some of the levers we really in TSD have been utilizing BD in a broad way, not just traditional MA, but looking at distribution agreements. Sometimes it's just, you know, we have a certain regional market where we need to expand the bag and distribution agreement makes sense, a certain partnership for commercial expansion. So we really look at business development more broadly that way. And we're using, you know, all of the different levers that, that we can, you know, including we, we just had the opportunity to announce our new investments through the CVC. I think that this is with corporate ventures is a great way for us to be looking at, you know, early stage technology and placing different bets in, in exciting areas that, you know, we simply don't have the resources or the reach internally to do ourselves. So we're using all of those levers. And in a broader sense, from a portfolio perspective, you know, as Olympus and as TSD, we still have a very strong presence in our surgical device group, gynecology, ENT, and, you know, our customers and Olympus depends on those areas to continue building our portfolios and continue serving our customers in those areas as well. Terrific. Well, I look forward to tracking Olympus's story in the future. And uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Tom. It's my pleasure to be here. And thank you for having me. All right, Chris Newmarker, what is number three on the Newmarker's Newsmakers list? Number three, there was uh, some uh, reimbursement wins for our uh, Relevant uh, Med Systems, um, which uh, it's based right here in Minneapolis. Um, they've got their uh, Intercept device, which uh, it's, it's using a minimally evasive uh, procedure to provide uh, like a radio frequency 
based ablation, you know, uh, that, that targets a, a specific nerve in order to uh, provide uh, some some you know chronic low back pain uh, relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, they uh, they got two new uh, category one uh, CPT codes um, in effect. So uh, so so that's uh, some really. Uh, some uh, some good news for them. I mean, it's like I mean we've we've heard over the years. I mean, it used to be you just had to get a uh, device uh, cleared or approved, and you know now like you know getting that that whole like you know you know reimbursement game of trying to get you know actual coverage, get the devices paid for, you know can uh, can can be you know very hard as well. So so a good a good win for them, like you know trying to you know expand use of their device. And it's a great example of of metal devices sort of stepping in to uh to treat pain and hopefully keep people away from uh addictive substances and uh provide them with uh with the relief they need cuz Yeah, exactly. Back, back pain is just uh among the worst for sure. All right. Well, what is uh number 2 on the list, Chris? I know number 2 on the list, uh more guess, guess which field this is, Tom. Uh robots? Bingo! Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Titan Medical. Um, you know they completed their final milestone and uh, their uh, development agreement with uh, with Medtronic. So they've like uh, successfully uh, you know completed you know their work that they agreed to do with uh, Medtronic. So uh, you know it's a uh, good good story uh, good story for them. Um, you know, in fact, like uh, you know their uh, interim president CEO Paul. Paul Catford called this a, uh, you know, a, a significant achievement for the company, you know, that they've, you know, uh, you know, completed the final milestone here. So, so yeah, good, good news for Titan Medical, you know, other, uh, another company that's, you know, you know, seeking to innovate in this, uh, you know, really, uh, really competitive, interesting space. That's great. And speaking of uh, surgical robotics, I completed my last interview with uh, Intuitive Surgicals for the most recent, or the interview for the most recent episode of the Intuitive Talks podcast. It is the last of the four initial interviews or podcasts that we scheduled, but we will be doing more awesome. in 2022. And uh, we focused on the ION system, which was uh, was very oh, cool. Neat. Yeah. So we're cool. looking at, uh, at uh, lung biopsies and, and using robots to, to pull them out of difficult places to reach. So it was a great conversation and we should have that out uh, next week. That's, that's, that's really amazing. I mean, it's, it's definitely like, I mean, we cover all these different, you know, companies in the space that are, are doing stuff, but still like intuitive is still like the, the dominant company. And they're just, you know, and I, I think it's just so fascinating that you're like doing all these interviews with uh, people inside of, you know, intuitive and we, you know, kind of, kind of get a really good idea of, you know, why, uh, you know, why they're, you know, the big company in the space. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll, yeah. uh, we'll, 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 we'll follow up with more intuitive talks podcasts and we'll have more Medtronic talks podcasts as well. And maybe we'll have one talking about Hugo again with uh, hopefully some good news from Medtronic uh, with Hugo in 2022. Do you think, are we going to have uh, talks with another company? Can we, can we mention that? All right. There is news of brewing. I will, I will confirm that. There is news of brewing and it will be. Stay tuned. Awesome. So, all right. <laughs> Let us go into, uh, into number one on the new Marcus Newsmaker. Number one drum roll. We've got, you know, hey, we're starting out the year with another multi-billion dollar acquisition. This is got- amazing. Yeah, we got Stryker spending $3.1 billion to uh, acquire uh, Vicera, you know, communications. And this is, uh, you know, their business is, uh, you know, digital care coordination, communications offerings. They've got their hands-free Vicera smart badge, um, you know, so... You know, I mean, Stryker, we, you know, people definitely, you know, think of it very much as being like an ortho device company. I mean, they're the largest orthopedic device company in the world, but, uh, you know, they're, they're really getting involved with, you know, care management, with digital health offerings, you know, and inside, uh, you know, healthcare uh, locations. So it's, uh, yeah, just a, just a really neat um, acquisition, Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, BTIG analyst Ryan Zimmerman, you know, said that he, you know, thought this acquisition was a, you know, a natural fit for the company, you know, like, uh, you know, so like, like he was saying, like the combination of projects, you know, products such as their paired beds, ambulation equipment, patient transport, you know, go, go hand to hand, you know, uh, you know, like with, uh, with what, you know, Stryker's doing. So, so yeah, really, really exciting. It's, it's kind of like companies are, med tech companies are really morphing from just being like, you know, equipment product companies mm-hmm. to really being like, Hey, we are, you know, we are, you know, a, uh, 
a knee management company, a joints management company, a hip management company, like what, whatever your focus was, it isn't just products. You're, you're really, you know, seeing to really provide services through that whole continuum of care and, you know, and, and, and make that your business. So yeah, really neat. We had talked about, uh, about this with Kevin Lobo, CEO, Kevin Lobo, when he was in the podcast in, in December and uh, group president, Andy Pierce. And it was an interesting, uh, Something that I hadn't thought of, just the, the the role of the hospital bed, which sounds like a man, mundane piece of equipment, really isn't. If you've got a patient in the bed for that period of time, you have all this opportunity to connect with them digitally and to track uh, their, their progress, obviously their health, collect important data. So it's really fascinating yeah. that, that Stryker is sort of moving into that space. Whereas with when you have Zimmer sort of moving, as you mentioned, into the sensor space, and, and Stryker obviously has its sensors as well, there's definitely going to be, we're, we're just the beginning of sort of putting all these data streams together. And uh, I wonder what these companies will look like in, uh, in three or four years. It's going to be uh, certainly interesting for us to watch. Well, Nacho Abia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Tom. My pleasure. So I'm excited to learn more about Olympus. It's been one of those companies out in my mental sort of periphery. I know you're in MedTech, but I haven't had a lot of conversations with the company. And I know you've, we're going to talk about your move into, into MedTech in a, in a few minutes. And I want to understand where you're headed. But first, I'd like to understand how you got here specifically, how you found your way into the medical device industry. What was your, uh, what was your start? Well, uh, I think this has a lot to do with the with the evolution of uh, of Olympus as a medical technology company, right? So, uh, I joined the company twenty years and a half ago. So I'm going to be my first year's anniversary soon. My first job was as the CEO of the Iberia region in Spain, based in Barcelona. That's where I am born and raised, and uh, that's where Olympus found me. So I joined the company uh, in in two thousand and one, uh, and and the reason that I joined the company or the reason why the company hired me is essentially because of my background. I worked for Sony Corporation oh. and I worked in consumer electronics and, and they were looking for someone with that uh, background in consumer electronics because at that time, the largest business of the company was the camera, the consumer camera and audio products that we had. Funny enough, when I joined the company and then I, I went to the company the first days, I realized that actually... The, the consumer business is still, still was not with us. It was in the hands of a distributor. For contractual reasons, we couldn't touch it for the next two years. So I found myself managing a medical device company. I had uh, really no clue about that. <laughs> it, was, it was a fantastic immersion for me because at that time, the businesses that we were for this, the first two years, I was managing just pretty much the medical business and the, and the life science business that, that we still have. And uh, it was a, a fantastic immersion for me. I mean, uh, the folks did a, a great job for me, taking me to procedures, teaching me everything that, that they could teach me. And uh, yeah, it was a great way to start with that. And since wow. then, obviously, since then, I think many things have happened. And, uh, and nowadays, Olympus is, is a medical device company. 90% of what we do is that. And uh, and we have been evolving. And, and then after, after Spain, I moved to... Uh, I moved to Germany to our headquarters in uh, in Hamburg for uh, almost four years, and then in 2011 I was uh, I was uh, I, w- I got one of those offers that you cannot reject. So I say, would you mind to go to the U.S. for just for a while? I mean, you just check and do some job we have for you there, and say, yeah, okay, well, if it's just for a while. And here I am, ten years later, and uh, my family alive love this country, and uh, we decided this is home. So, oh, so that's, wonderful. That's kind of my history. Did you at any point when you realized you'd be running a medical device company, was there a moment of, uh, this isn't what I signed up for, I want to go back to consumers? Or did you immediately find a groove and an affinity to medical devices? I think that it has been certain aha moments. I think that I have to recognize that the first, uh, the first, I mean, month and, and, uh, and uh, it was like really surprised. I mean, this, this industry is a fascinating industry, but uh, you need to understand it and you need to understand how it works and the entire ecosystem. But after a short while, I, I really fell in love with the, with the medical device industry. And uh, I always use uh, or paraphrase something that I was told. I think just years ago, in, uh, we were doing some sort of activity in the, in, here in our headquarters in Pennsylvania. And we were asking our folks, what kind of job you do, what business you are in. And I remember one, uh, actually it was one technician from our endoscopy division to say, well, I'm in the business of saving lives. And honestly, I think that this is, I, I thought a lot about this. And I think this was what got me 
but engaged me in the medical device industry from, from the very beginning, right? So this is a fascinating industry that makes a difference in the world. And what the medical device industry has been able to do in the last, in the evolution, in the last many years, but specifically the last 20 years is amazing, right? What technology has been done to provide a better life for people and a more quality of life is fascinating. And it's so very rewarding to be part of it, right? So very rewarding to be part of the thing. So I think I quickly fell in love with that. And uh, and then uh, very quickly after that, I declared myself as a, a medical technology guy. And <laughs> well, we're, we're happy to have you. So uh, I'd love to now learn more about Olympus. As I said, I've obviously heard of it in the med tech context. I remember at a time when interventional pulmonology was a big thing. I think Olympus had moved in and purchased one of the companies, Spiration. Uh, I know Olympus is big in single-use endoscopes, which is an enormous area, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But Give us a snapshot, if you would, of, of the areas or an overview of the areas that, that Olympus currently resides in medical devices. And then after that, I kind of want to follow the decision to really make medical devices your, your, your primary business. Let me back up a little bit and give you a little bit of history for the company, because this will give you the context to understand who okay. we are today. Right. So, so we, we, Olympus has been in medical devices since 1952. Okay. <laughs> so 70 years, right? So, so in 70, yeah. years, 70 yeah. years doing medical devices. But the company is even, even older than that. I mean, the company was uh, was founded in, uh, in Japan in 1919. And the first product that we produced was actually a microscope. Oh. It was a big, big thing. It was the first time that I was our entering in the, I would say, life science world at that time, right? So, so it was the first time that Japanese manufacturing at that time, the market was dominated by German producers. And, uh, and it was the first time that the Japanese manufacturer entered into the optical world. So this was the first product. And then it followed some, uh, some other products in the life science segment. In 1937, we entered in the camera, in the camera business, thanks to our know-how in optics. And in 1950, we started developing with uh, a doctor uh, from uh, one hospital in Japan contacted us and said, look, you know how to do cameras, you know how to do microscopes. I need to see inside the body of my patients. And if possible, I wouldn't like to open them in order to see what happened there. So would it be possible to put a camera on the tip of some tube so we can see? And this was the beginning. Wow. Of, this was the beginning of endoscopy. So two years later, we launched the first commercial gastro camera, which literally was, literally, literally, right? So it's a tube with some sort of illumination and, and camera, a small camera in the tube where the doctor could make some pictures of the stomach and then and then analyze all those images and take decisions, right? So this was the beginning of Olympus as a medical device company, and this is 1952. Since then, these three businesses, right? So what we call today scientific solutions, the consumer business and the medical business has run in parallel. And uh, for many years, the three businesses has similar, similar sizes, I, I would say, probably from a revenue perspective, the consumer business was the largest. And then at some point, the consumer business also, I mean, it started even to grow a lot because of the digitalization of the of the camera. It was a transition from silver halide to the digital cameras in the 90s. And then in the 2000s, it was probably the cusp of all this, of all that market. And then guess what? The smartphones came in, the iPhone was launched. And as fast as that market grew, that market declined. I mean, mm. we experienced years of a very sharp decline and the, and the smartphones were taking over the traditional camera market. These were the years where, where at the same time that this was happening, our medical business was booming. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and all the revenue that we were losing because of the literally, I mean, the, this continuous shrinking of the camera business were compensated by the growth we had in medical and obviously, the company took the decision that uh, it was very obvious that the camera business was going to, if not to disappear, definitely to diminish considerably. So the company did, took the decision to invest massively in the medical device industry and make that business our, our main business today. So this is kind of the history where, where, uh, where we have. So for many people, we still talk with people who say, well, it's Olympus in the medical devices. Say, yes, for, for only for 70 years, right? So <laughs> Great, I added to that. <laughs> but it's true that our branding has been uh, built based on the camera business. And the, uh, for many years, we did tons of investment in advertising in the 
camera products. And that's what many people know Olympus still for their cameras, right? So that's where we came into the into the medical uh, devices business. So within medical, what do we have today and the different specialties that we are in? The origin of everything is uh, is obviously the endoscopical access. I mean, all, all, all. I mean, most of the products that we have now, we're expanding that portfolio is coming from uh, what we call early diagnosis and minimal invasive treatment. And it's based on the fact that we provide minimal access, minimal, uh, minimal invasive access through endoscopes, right? So either flexible endoscopes or rigid endoscopes, right? This is, this is what we do. And then, let's say, once we are inside, then we can, we can bring our devices and do whatever therapies are appropriated in, in the different procedures. This is kind of, in summary, what we do. And that, from a speciality point of view, this leads to, again, anything that requires or, or is, uh, is workable through endoscopic access. So we are very strong in, uh, in GI and all kinds of GI diseases, obviously, but we are also pretty strong in respiratory diseases, which, again, our, our endoscopic access is crucial. We are very powerful in odology, more in the rigid scope side. We have a very strong franchise in surgical imaging, laparoscopy, mostly, and, and derived from that, we also have surgical devices, electrosurgery devices, etc. for that. And, uh, and, and finally, we are also very strong in ENT. And all that, as you can imagine, I mean, the origin of that is this uh, endoscopic access, this minimal invasive access. But then, thanks to this cold point with uh, the relation we have developed for years with physicians, we've been able to add things to our portfolio that help them to do the job, moving not only from the visualization portion to the therapy session, but to the therapy portion. So that's what uh, the areas where we are today. And if I have to mention the three that uh, probably today we are leading is, is clearly in GI, urology and respiratory are the areas where we are really making a difference and uh, we are leading those spaces. So what have the past two years been like at the company as you sort of reposition and refocus or focus on metal devices? Has it required a uh, significant change in sort of the internal operations, the feelings, the culture? Or is this really just kind of showing the world what Olympus, how Olympus already saw itself? There's been some, uh, significant changes in the way we work it. I think that uh, two and a half years ago, our new CEO, Mr. Takeuchi, was appointed. And he came, I mean, he was a veteran. At the time he was appointed, he was a veteran of almost 40 years in the company. But he came with a very disruptive and uh, an aggressive agenda of change. His mantra essentially were in two, in two areas, right? So he wanted Olympus to be, number one, medical device company, and he wanted this to be recognized. He wanted this to be the main business. So he wanted our efforts, investments, and uh, and resources to be devoted to the to the medical devices or the medical technology part. That's number one. Number two, he wanted really to globalize the company and uh, and make the company from a very powerful, solid uh, Japanese international company to truly global enterprise uh, that can operate with uh, with uh, all over the world with uh, utilizing talent from all over the world. These two axes of work uh, has been the main uh, disruptive changes in the company in the last two years. And this has provoked a lot of changes in the way we work. From one side, the decision-making process is totally different. So we, we now have, in the medical world, we have uh, two large divisions, the therapeutic solutions and endoscopic solutions. Solutions division was moved to Boston and uh, three years ago. So all the management and the, and the main teams are for that business is now managed from Boston. The decision place is Boston. That's the, the Westboro building that you probably have seen if you drive around. But in generally speaking, I think that uh, the management has diversified significantly. So the decision process doesn't reside anymore in Japan as it used to be in the past and in a much more globalized decision-making process. The second big change has been in the, in the fact that, I mean, to be in the medical technology world, you really need to understand the needs of the of the healthcare systems and the needs of the customers and 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 you really need to develop products that are able to to fix existing problem right so the the quest for the unmet need i think is a is a is an absolute must in in medical technology especially for a company like us where we we are not a commodity products company i mean we compete based on value and so this is very important and the biggest change in that area is that uh, olympus has been traditionally 
a technology company, technology and manufacturing company. And most of the decisions were based on our technology capabilities and based also in internal capabilities. So we were developing the products that uh, our R&D team knew how to develop, which is a strong limitation, right? Because that, that limits yourself into a, into a very specific set of skills. So the, the changes in the last, not only two, probably a few more years, but the main changes is that we've changed that approach. And instead of developing products from a technology orientation, we've been developing products much more focused on what kind of disease we want to treat, what kind of problem we want to fix, and working much closer with the, with the medical providers, physicians, but also healthcare providers in order to make sure that the product fits their needs, right? That's a fundamental shift, right? So from a focus on technology to focus on, on diseases. And that's uh, that definitely is something that uh, it's uh, much more easy to say than to do when you have 100 years of history of, of very successful manufacturing and R&D development based on pure technology, right? So this requires a shift and have requires for us to incorporate uh, other functions that the company didn't have uh, develop in the past, or at least didn't have developed by scale. I'm thinking in, 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 for example, our business development team, which is uh, is now a global team. I mean, three years ago was almost not existing. We have very few people there mm. because inorganic growth was not considered as a key priority. Now is a key priority. In the last 18 months, we've closed five acquisitions. And, uh, and now we understand if we want to provide a solution for the main needs, our technology is not always sufficient. Our technology is very important and it's crucial for our success, but not always sufficient. So we need to look for uh, outside the company for how to complement those technologies. We also have invested massively in the uh, in medical affairs function, right? So in order to, again, we had a very powerful engineering team, but we needed as well, literally doctors that can help us to, to strategize on what is the real need. In the, in the marketplace and for the healthcare providers. So I think that the biggest shift of the company has been to transition from really an engineering firm mm-hmm. into a medical device franchise. Let's talk about those two areas, uh, the M&A focus. You, you mentioned the companies you acquired, uh, GI endotherapy, you acquired ARC, and urology, Meditate, and respiratory, you acquired Varen Medical Technologies, surgical, Quest, photonic devices. Give me a sense, are you where you need to be with M&A, are these the building blocks you'll be working with going forward for the next year or so? Or are you going to continue with this trend? Am I going to have another PowerPoint slide I'm looking at a year from now with five more companies on it? We continue working. I think that uh, the M&A is definitely part of our growth engine. We don't look at M&A as a goal. Mm-hmm. We look at M&A as a need, right? So I think that uh, we have very clear view what uh, what do we want to know what where do we want to be and what kind of uh, of areas we want to uh, we want to provide value and as i say for those to do this job i mean in some cases we need technologies or we need solutions that means that we will continue exploring opportunities in money now not only that right so our our investors are, are expecting as a, in in this in this very aggressive market they're expecting a significant growth growth that goes beyond what the market is growing so i think MA also have to provide opportunities for uh, for not only to bring additional technologies or complement technology but also for growth and uh, and eventually even for to expand our areas of influence right so so we are also open as well we have a very strong position in certain areas but, uh, but we're also looking for opportunities uh, in order to expand to other areas where, again, we can make a difference. And, and if this is coming through M&A, that's welcome as well. So we're very open. As I say, M&A follows the purpose, not vice versa. I mean, we don't do M&A just by M&A. So we, we want M&A to really complement our strategy. But uh, but we are working aggressively on a number of targets. I think this uh, I mean, you you know you know well that I uh, think the, the M and A world is is pretty hot right now. There is a lot of activity going on in many different fronts. So it's, uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to identify reasonable targets. But uh, but definitely, if we speak in uh, in a year from now. I hope we can add some uh, some more marks in uh, in that slide of, of additional activities. No, for sure. With the IPO market being what it has been and, and the availability of SPACs, it certainly gives uh, gives these companies other options. So you answered the question, but I did. I just kind of want to circle back on it. So you have leadership positions in the areas you're in. So it makes sense if you really want to achieve significant growth that you need to move into a into an adjacent area, at least, if not a 
completely different market. In most of the areas where we are in, I mean, we like to play in areas where we, as I say, where we can make a significant difference, medical, because adding value. And when you do that, normally it's because you are number one, number two, or, or, or a very aggressive number three position. This is where we are in almost in all the, the, the areas where we play. Even in uh, with such a leadership position, we still believe that there is opportunities in those areas because some of those decisions. Last week, we were having an investor day and we're talking, for example, about lung cancer still is a, there's a lot that we can do and there's a lot that technology still can provide the lung cancer. So even if we are at this point, we are the leading company to provide the staging and position of the cancer in the lungs. I think it's still there are opportunities to develop more technology that can help physicians to do a better job and, uh, and identify early, early enough those tumors that can be treated. Right. So even in the areas where we are leaders today, there are opportunities to do more and to contribute more. But we are looking at the adjacencies as well, right? So I think that uh, there is definitely, we are not close to anything. I think that we have a very strong relation with in the specialities we have been for many years. And that provides us a very good access in the market. So if we can identify additional diseases or additional technologies that can treat the specific diseases that, uh, that we can help with, we will happily incorporate that in the, into the discipline because we have an ecosystem which is already providing the access to the customers and, uh, and anything we can add would make sense. But the North Star will always be to be to, to really be able to make some uh, significant medical difference. We're not a me too products company. We, we, this is not our DNA. I mean, it's, it's, uh, that's not what we know how to do. We, we, we want to be in spaces where we really can add some, some differentiation and, uh, and some more medical value, which was not existing today. Let's talk a bit about the venture program that you started. What is its mission? Is it to identify those smaller acquisitions that, that could be tucked in or is it to produce a return? What is the function of the venture program? I think that it's the, it's the traditional I mean, uh, mission of a, of a corporate venture fund, right? So I think financial return point of view, uh, I mean, obviously we, we, we have expectation that this will be financially sound, but, uh, but this, is not the main, this is not the main reason for us to get into sure. the right so there is a couple of strong reasons i mean is is a there's a phenomenal ecosystem of startups that move super fast and uh, and identify trends much faster than uh, than large companies because they have the ability to pivot much much quicker than we have reason number one is that we want to be part of that ecosystem we want to have a a team a specific team which is uh, observing what's going on capturing trends and uh, making decision early enough about what are the areas that we want to, uh, to, to penetrate or, or to have a stake of interest on that. That's number one. Number two, definitely no question that, that we see this as a, as a potential pipeline generator for M&A. I mm-hmm. think that we, we want to, uh, to work with companies that uh, and, and to take a stake in companies that uh, we believe might be interesting for our purpose. If uh, nobody knows at the, at the beginning of the relation, but definitely in companies which are in sectors or in specialities which are interesting or are strategic fits for us. So we get to know them. Eventually, we can help them to grow. And at some point, we might acquire them on them. So I think that the, the possibility of uh, generate tuck-ins and, and BD pipeline is, is also another strong motivation for that. So I would say clearly understanding of where the world is going and, and have a very premium seat on, on what's going on is, is one of the the main goals and the second one is to generate a significant uh, additional pipeline for a future billion. And two more questions. I wanted to just circle back. You mentioned the uh, changes to your sort of R&D and engineering approach team. If I understood correctly, you, you brought in physicians to sort of bring more of a clinical perspective into that process. What happened in the R&D and engineering side of the business? I mean, the, our R&D and engineering has been a, a very powerful machines for many many decades and they continue to be, right? So I think what we are doing is complementing, complementing their know-how with uh, medical experts. I mean, our R&D folks, of course, they know medical technology, but they know medical technology from engineering point of view. So we, we wanted to make sure that we complement them with the medical view. So in that sense, in literally in the last 24 months, we've hired a significant amount of, of doctors, which are now part of our organization, and that they were very close with the business units in order to develop the right strategies. And, and in order to do that, we need to understand, again, 
for a company like us that likes to focus in, in making that difference in a specific diseases, we need to understand very well those diseases. Mm-hmm. And we need to understand what is their main need in detail. And this is the value that we are providing. So through that, we can take much more accurate and, uh, and aimed decisions about where to invest, right? So I think what are the areas where we have to invest, where we're going to make a, a larger difference. At the end of this, obviously, the R&D group have to take these ideas and make them reality, right? So, or our BD team have to find, identify where are the potential and organic opportunities to do that. But the starting point of our of our strategic business planning process is definitely the business unit together with our medical team, our work together to say, okay, these are the areas, these are the diseases where, where there is clearly a, an unmet need that we can fix. And we already have some positioning there, some technology that can help. So let's do more. Let's develop more in order to bring that solution to the market. I think this is the fundamental change versus the Olympus of uh, 10 years ago. And I think from an R&D point of view, this is and will continue being a, a key asset for us. I mean, our R&D and manufacturing is, uh, is a, as I say, a very well-oiled, a strong machine. That is a key asset for us. We just need to complement them and make sure that they devote their time and efforts in the right direction. I think that's the key. Great. And last question. Uh, looking forward, what does Olympus look like in a few years? What, what sort of attributes or characteristics do you want us to assign to Olympus as you continue to move deeper into medtech and, and to expand your, uh, your footprint? Well, I think we have a very clear view on that. And uh, our goal is to elevate the standard of care in a specific diseases. And, and we know we cannot change everything, but uh, we feel that we know we can make a significant difference in some specific diseases and procedures, and that's what we are doing right now. We are acting in some areas. We, we intend to work in others. And I think the way we would like to be recognized in years to come is definitely a company that have been able to add value to the medicine in treating some specific very complex and, and very painful diseases like colon cancer, lung cancer, BPH. And I mean, there, there are many areas where a lot of patients are suffering from this around the world, and we can alleviate a little bit that pain or, or, or try to help in the process to in, in the care pathway to bring them back to their life, right? So I think this is how we would like to be recognized. I think is part of our mission as a company, and, and we take it seriously, right? This concept of... Uh, making a difference and we want to make a very significant difference in the areas where we can. We cannot do it everywhere, but uh, what we need to identify and select where we can make a difference and then be very significant for patients, right? So at the end of the day, I always think that uh, at the end of all these discussions that we have and all these engineering discussions, and, and at the end there is a patient. and the end there is someone which, which is going to be treated with our technology. And this is a very serious thing. That's, if we think about it, that someone can be our mother, our father, a family member, a relative, a friend. And, and then I think is a, is a, we have to take this very serious, and we do. And we want to really contribute to the well-being of the society and of the people. That's the way we would like to be recognized as a medieval company. We are already doing that. We want to do that at a, at a larger scale mm-hmm. and keep expanding our impact. Fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure to meet you, to talk to you, and uh, thanks for uh, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Tom. My pleasure to be here and uh, stay in touch. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Chris Newmarker, it's great to be back on the podcast. Saddle again with you in 2022. Good to be back, man. Where can folks find you out there in the social media world? I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a, a new marker. You can find me on uh, Twitter as well, at Newmarker. Fantastic. And I am on Twitter, at MedTechTom. I am on LinkedIn, Tom Salemi. Please do connect with Chris and myself. Please do connect with our uh, our LinkedIn pages for our publications, right? We're doing pretty well in uh, building our online community on LinkedIn for Mass Device and, of course, for Device Talks. And- Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've built it into an audience in the, in the- tens of thousands for our sites and yeah i definitely you know if you, if you want to get a good i mean i i'm 
you know, I'm biased, of course, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not just tuning my own here. I mean, yeah. we're post, you know, yeah, I mean, just honestly, we're posting, uh, you know, you go to like something like Mass Device, I mean, we're posting like, you know, half a dozen, you know, different like top med tech news stories a day at least, you know. So, you know, following us on on LinkedIn is, is a great way to just uh, stay up to date on, uh, you know, what's going on in the, in the medical device space. And you can get deeper dives on medical design outsourcing, you know, uh, you know, page. Uh, we got you know, drug delivery business news. You know, if you want to find about diabetes devices and all these infusion devices, and also not mentioning, you know, drug discovery and development, where uh, our, our former editor Brian Bunces, you know, ran some really insightful stories. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. There's a lot, lot of there's a wealth of things, a feast of things to uh, to uh, you know to check out. We had our editorial staff on display in the final episode of, of uh, last year. I thought uh, Brian and Danielle Kirsch and Sean Hooley and of course yourself, and I'll add myself to the list. Did a nice job with our. Our, uh, our stories of the year. I thought that was a, a interesting discussion. So folks, if you didn't listen to that, please do check it out. But uh, share this podcast episode if you would on social media. It's a great team. I just feel so fortunate. We got, you know, I think we got a really great group of people here and um, I'm looking forward as well. Our, our managing uh, editor, Jim, uh, Jim Hammeran is going to be uh, returning from a uh, parental leave like next week. So it'll be, uh, it'll be great as well. Yeah. So we got really got a really good team. That's great. So uh, please do share this podcast episode on those social media channels. Please do subscribe to the device talks podcast. You'll not only get this podcast, like, follow subscribe. <laughs> You'll also get intuitive talks and uh, we'll just say a podcast that will be named later. Later. It's coming up and it'll be super exciting. So uh, please do not delay. Subscribe and follow the Device Talks Weekly Podcast and do the same for Medtronic Talks. It's a, a great podcast and it has its own channel and uh, you should be tracking one of the leaders in the medtech industry as well. So that is a wrap. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. Tune in next week. We'll have another great episode waiting for you. 2022, let's rock it. 